It's hour three of the Fan Morning Show. Matt Marchese, Daniele Franceschi with you here. You're bobbing your head to this song, okay? Return of the Mac, familiar. Mark yes. Morrison. Yes. Do you know how old this song is? Oh, it's got to be like 30, 40 it's, years old. It's as old as you are. So that just made me feel really old. Sorry. <laughs> that made Jeff Azzaparty feel even older. It's a great tune. I love it. Jeff Azzaparty was in university when this came out. <laughs> no, he wasn't. There's no way. I'm Come kidding. on. That was a good that shot. That would be though. harsh. I had to, th- I had to throw a oh. shot there at Jeff, um, especially based on the text messages that he was sending to me yesterday. Just so disrespectful. <laughs> for those that don't know, Jeff and I worked together for a long yeah. time before Well, you today, could tell so. based on the text exchange. Yeah. I got a side text from Jeff saying, I, I hope we're not bothering Daniele. Like, I hope he's not sleeping no. or something because we were sending <laughs> messages back and forth. It was pretty ridiculous. Um, the Toronto Maple Police are riding a seven-game winning streak. And I mean, I love how Sheldon Keefe, because Sheldon Keefe is of a certain vintage as well, where he says like, you know, with the nature of which, why he was out of the lineup and referring to Morgan Riley says, oh, his fingerprints are all over this winning streak. <laughs> like just, just take that <laughs> screwdriver, just drive it and just turn it yeah. a little bit yeah. more I love for it. all the people that just don't believe in it. Say it louder for the people in the back, please. Morgan Riley's fingerprints are all over this. He's, anyway, it's great. He, I love the way he conducts himself with the media. Like he's he's very can, like he's very candid. Oh, usually pretty transparent about a lot of things, but he's very diplomatic about how he answers questions, and he does it in a very strategic way so that he can drive his point home without being like overtly critical about stuff. Yeah, I, I, he does. A, he strikes a great balance, and I love unhinged Keith. By the way. That's my favorite Keith. Yeah, I'm I'm a big fan. Oh, that's I've, great. Al- I've always been a big fan of Sheldon Keith. Um, so the latest 32 Thoughts podcast is is it out, guys? It is out. Okay. Mm-hmm. And Elliot and Jeff, uh, they talked about you know the Toronto Maple Leafs and you know how it's working out right now, guys on one year deals and um, and kind of where this team should go directionally come trade deadline. Here's a little snippet from 32 Thoughts with Jeff Barrick and Elliot Friedman. Remember a couple of months ago, people were saying, you know what, Toronto's guys, all these one-year guys didn't work out. All of a sudden, they're starting to look a lot better. It's going to be interesting to see what Toronto does here in terms of roster construction. They might just be best off to let it all play out. Now, the other thing they've got this week is Wool played his first game in the American Hockey League on Friday. He was excellent. They didn't dress him Saturday. They still could play him in more AHL games if they want to. But, Jeff, what do you think here? You go with three goalies? Do you risk putting Martin Jones on waivers? Do you go with three? Or what do you do? I don't know that I would risk putting Martin Jones on waivers right now. I I, I, uh, I, 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 I agree think, with I that. I think you kind of have to go with three right now. Short term, you got to go with three. Do you, do you disagree? I, I'm beginning yeah. to think the same thing. No, no, no. You've had such a weird year. And Jones stabilized your year, yeah. your season. Man, I don't disagree with. I like to disagree with both of those guys. Oh, I know you do. Uh, I can't. Yeah. I, there's not <laughs> one thing that I could say that would make me like the the one the the only one year deal guy that hasn't worked is John Klingberg. He got hurt yes. and he wasn't very good before yes. that. But other than that, I mean, again, as it pertains to to Max Domi and to Tyler Bertuzzi. You expected, I think, a little bit more production in the regular season, but but their importance was never going to be solely about the regular season. It was almost exclusively going to be about the playoffs and how they performed in the playoffs. Mm-hmm. So you talked about it earlier, finding the groove at the right time. 
And it does kind of feel like they've they found that, and partially because they've had to play around with the lines a little bit. Mm-hmm. Max Domi has been up and down the lineup. Tyler Bertuzzi's been up and down the lineup. And they finally found something that works. Like, the connection between Max Domi and William Nylander looks really good right now. And part of the reason why I think it looks really good is is that Nylander's not playing with... He's playing with guys that defer. Whereas when he's with Tavares, Tavares is a shooter. If he's with Matthews, Matthews is a shooter. Um, and those are two... The the guys primarily that he's played with over the course of the last few years, There's, you know, it's the odd time they throw him on the third line or they put him at center or whatever. Yeah. But primarily he's played with those two guys. Max Domi's a pass first guy. Mm-hmm. And I feel like that has really worked. Also, Max Domi feels like he's made William Nylander a little bit faster too. Yes. Because Max Domi plays with a certain mm-hmm. speed as well. And Tyler Bertuzzi's just, just get to the net. Like that's, that's what your role is going to be. Get to the net. We'll find you. And if we don't, you're going to get a rebound. That's what feels, and that's why it feels like this, these shuff, the shuffling of the lines has really worked. I couldn't agree more. Uh, it also feels like we are thankfully so far removed from that incident in Boston where Bertuzzi was chuckling as Marshawn was clowning the team. Thankfully, yeah, I didn't like, didn't like that. God, thankfully we've moved past that and uh, we're well beyond that you stage. You had to bring it season. up, eh? I had to. Bad I memories. had to because it popped right into my mind initially. Uh, but no, I think they've they've clearly found something that works. the The chemistry is there. Um, I really do like the synergy that those three guys share. And as a result, they're, they've had success. Uh, you know, in referencing that clip, the one other thing that I do think is probably most prudent for this team is, and it's the most pressing question, is what you do with the goaltenders. Yep. Um, it's it's interesting because I think you, Joseph Wall, we forget, has only played 30 NHL games. Like, he started a handful of them. Like, 30 appearances in total. For across, some, he's the next coming of Jock Plon. Just you know, don't forget that. Right, and yet he's only played 30. It's a small sample size yeah. for a guy that everybody is looking at as the savior. And they would much probably much rather see him start a playoff game than Ilya Samsonov, even though Samsonov's been good. Like, people are invested in Joe Wall, really like him, uh, think highly of him, and that's all great. But I do think we need to see more of him at the NHL level. And it's important for him to get that work before you have to thrust him into a potential playoff series. And so I think it's prudent for the Leafs to get him up as quickly as they possibly can. I was even looking at the schedule to see, hey, where would be a logical landing spot? And they play, obviously, tomorrow night at home against Vegas. Thursday, they're at home again. They'll play the Coyotes. To me, the Coyotes game makes a lot of sense to say, okay, Joseph Wall, let's thrust you back in. Let's get you back on an NHL ice surface. Go out there, kind of ease your way back into the rotation a little bit. And when it comes to Martin Jones, I think the Leafs are in a position, unfortunately, for the time being, where they're going to have to carry three guys because you can ill afford, A, if there's an injury or some level of drop-off in performance. Like, they've been susceptible to that from the goaltending position. You probably need to carry three right now. You know, when you look at the schedule, you see, you know, Vegas, as you mentioned, tomorrow night, the Coyotes Thursday, and then it's Rangers, Bruins, Sabres, Bruins before the trade deadline. Like you got Bruins. I mean, Bruins, I mean, Sabres mixed in. Okay. But Bruins and Rangers, I don't know how confident you'd be in like trying to thrust a guy just fresh off an injury, put him back in that situation. I, I, that's why I circle Thursday as a date that I think it makes a lot of sense. If he's healthy, raring to go, ramped up, fully prepared, I think that would make a ton of sense to put him in there on Thursday night. I wonder if they just stretch this thing out to see, you know, and then have him to make a decision on, on Martin Jones. I don't think that they're 
he's going to go down. I doubt it. Yeah. Uh, but we will see. Uh, Frank Saravelli, hockey insider and president of hockey content at Daily Faceoff. Uh, the, this insider is brought to you by Don Valley North Lexus, where you can expect excellence online and in the showroom. Visit DonValleyNorthLexus.com. Frank, how are you this morning? Pretty good, guys. How are you? We're good. Okay, before we get into this Leaf chatter and trade talk, I have to ask you this question because you're a, you're a hockey guy. You've been a hockey guy for a long time. Um, yesterday was the 47th. I know it's a weird one. 47th anniversary of the release of Slapshot. How many times have you seen it? Oh, like ballpark. 30. Okay. Okay. Uh, so you're a hockey guy. So my so my co-host <laughs> my co-host Mr. Franceschi has never seen it. Never seen it. Never seen it. I've never seen it, Frank. You, you need to leave the air. <laughs> oh, maybe, come on. You, maybe you can get back on by the end of the show. <laughs> so I can I, I squeeze in the movie between now and then. Then maybe I'll yeah, get back on. No, you can't because it's so long. Like that's the one thing. As I got older, I realized how long that movie is. Like it's three hours. Well, and especially if you you catch it on on actual TV and you have the commercial mm-hmm. in it. Oh, it's, it's it's ridiculous. It's one of those movies though. Like you, once you start, like especially if it's on TV, like you can't stop. You can't change the channel. No, no. I so ours it's like Dumb and Dumber for me. <laughs> That's a good one, actually, too. So ours was like our when I was playing junior, our coach had this love affair with Slapshot. We watched it on almost every bus trip, and some of these bus trips were to Northern Ontario. Like we're talking four hours. <laughs> Five hours, yeah, every single bus trip. It was absolutely ridiculous. Anyway, I had to ask that question. No, the problem is I quote it, and a lot of times when I'm at the rink, you know, coaching my youth hockey team, I'll quote it, and no one has any idea what I'm talking about. Like, definitely the kids have no idea. Oh, sure. For sure. My <laughs> wife has no idea. Most of the time I just walk around like an idiot. <laughs> so, um, Okay, so this was the other one. Like, I've had this conversation with with Jeff Merrick as well because he's, like, the biggest Slapshot fan ever. Um, how old were you when you first watched it? Because we talked about, like, what is the age that is appropriate? And there really isn't an age that is appropriate. But how old were you when you first watched it? Do you remember? Maybe, like, 12 or 13. Yeah, I was eight. <laughs> eight, the, yeah, eight is yeah, a little aggressive. Yeah, the... the my, my, my guy is nine. I'm not sure that I'd be showing it. No, to him. no, no, no. Not in today's climate anyway. No. Um, okay. On to the Leafs. So we, we just had a conversation about carrying three goalies and it's not something that I feel a lot of teams really like to do, but it feels like, especially for the Leafs at this juncture with the questions that they've had in goal all year that they almost don't have a choice, but to keep Martin Jones around because partially because they don't, we don't know where they would be if they didn't have him. Plus, there's still some questions as as well as um, Ilya Samsonov has played lately, and and we expect Joseph Wall to come back soon. There's still question marks about this team in goal. Do you see any scenario in which the Leafs are not carrying three goalies after the trade deadline? Not in my, not any that I can envision. I mean, you look at where this team is at. I think you just laid out the case perfectly. Jones, in some ways, saved this team's season. More than that, there's been a continual flow of injury or mishap, poor play, that has basically, even though they've carried three since, what, early November, that they've needed, they've only really had two on the roster for that stretch of time, it feels like. So they've needed all three guys. And I think they're going to continue to in the playoffs. Like I, I think a lot of times the team with, you know, that's well prepared ends up, you know, needing that goalie for whatever reason when it comes to the postseason. And you hope that's not the case, but I think at least 
from a Leaf perspective, if they were to need Jones in the playoffs, then they're probably really well situated. Frank, as we know, trade deadline of quickly approaching. We're just over a week away. It's next Friday. Um, Elliot had mentioned on Hockey Night on Saturday, the Leafs uh, continue to be in the market for a right-shot defenseman. It's something that they've obviously... I mean, I feel like we've had this conversation for months now where they've been in, in the market for some help on the blue line. But uh, what are you hearing uh, as far as their quest to help bolster that blue line and any discussions they may have they have, may have entertained up until this point of the transaction season? Well, it's it's really been difficult for them on the on the trade front because of the limited assets that they have. And that's really the spot that they've been in to this point is trying to find out what exactly they can get their hands on for what they'd be willing to part with. And so I think there's been lots of discussion. I think there's been lots of creative approaches. I think the Leafs are more or less trying to see what is the very most that we can get if we're putting our first round pick in play, what kind of package can we get in return? I don't think they're going to make a move just to do it. I hate that cliche. This is like these next 11 days until the deadline are just cliche central. But I, I, I think if they're without that second round pick, um, that's a really tough spot to be in given what the market looks like and how thin it is that, I'm convinced if they're moving their first that it's going to have multiple pieces coming back that could help this team plug multiple holes. Frank Saravelli, Hockey Insider and pre- President of Hockey Content at Daily Faceoff, also host of the Daily Faceoff Rundown Podcast, as well as Frankly Speaking, uh, joining Matt Marchese and Daniele Franceschi here on the Fan Morning Show. So, you know, I'm I'm looking at the Leafs over this seven-game rip here, and I'm I'm saying, okay, how much of this is real? How much of this is a mirage? And I feel like it's a little bit more um, a little bit more real than mirage because they have found a way to play better defensively. They have gotten some depth scoring. Could you envision a scenario where the Leafs are fairly quiet? ahead of the deadline because of like you mentioned the lack of assets in order to make these moves. like could it be just some stuff around the fringes that we see and how much do you think that bothers Brad Treliving because as we know Brad Treliving likes to make a splash he feels like not that he has an itchy trigger finger but he does like to make big moves and maybe just maybe this team has played well enough to say okay it's just something around the edges and right now if we're gonna make a big move it's probably not gonna be until the offseason I I think it's probably eating at his soul because in a lot (laughs) of ways that's you want to be the person that comes in and helps, right? You want to reward this team, especially getting through the Riley suspension, especially um, where the season you're getting from Austin Matthews and the fact that this core of players that you've committed so much resources and capital to are right in the prime of their career. That part is really hard, but, you know, I also think you have to take a step back at a certain point and consider this market. And I was talking to a general manager yesterday about this specifically that he knows he asked him, this is not, we weren't talking about Brad Tree living. We were talking about his own personal situation. He said, I know I have to make a move. I don't have the option to do nothing, but I don't really love the market. And I thought that was a really interesting and intriguing spot to be in where your fan base is expecting a lot. You have a team that's clearly in contender mode and 
you don't love what you see in terms of really acquiring, you know, there's, there's a couple guys at the very top, you know, there's a Hannafin, there's a Gensel, there's, you know, whatever the beauty is in the eye of the beholder. But once you get past the first two, three, four names on the list, it really starts to get thin in a hurry. And what you're looking at is high prices for guys that aren't very likely to be impact guys and are still more likely than not to be just pure rentals for your team. Is that I think the Leafs oh, have so been in a continue, well, I was just gonna say I think the Leafs have been in a situation where they doesn't have any connection to Brad Tree Living, but they've spent a lot the last few years, have had nothing to show for it in terms of keeping those players and have had minimal playoff results that maybe it does make sense to take a step back and say, you know what, as well as this team has played in the last two weeks, maybe we'll just roll the dice with what we have. You talk about the the market. Is that maybe what is a, a simple way of, of, say, of stating why we haven't seen many deals? Because last year around this time, we can remember, it felt like there was a big deal seemingly every day. And then it's like, oh, there's nothing left for deadline day. And then deadline day was pretty crazy as well. Is that kind of what you're thinking in terms of why we haven't seen a lot of moves is there's just people that aren't super impressed with the market. Yes. That's the key. That's the key thing that I keep getting in return from stakeholders that are intimately involved. They really like some of the pieces at the very top. They're intrigued by some of the players that have some term, but they don't like the prices and they think it's rather thin with overall difference makers. And that's really the spot that a lot of teams are in. And I believe why we're going on 24 days now without a trade. I mean, it's February 2nd was the last trade of significance. Uh, Sean Monahan to Winnipeg. It's a long time to go 24 days in the trade deadline period without a deal. In hindsight, Frank, would it have been beneficial for not just the Leafs, but other teams, uh, teams that have aspirations of, of obviously uh, achieving success in the playoffs to maybe have tried to jump ahead of the market in that case, given that mm-hmm. It's a bit of a more tepid situation right now with teams that a maybe the price isn't to their liking and b the market as you mentioned isn't as ripe as it might have been in years past. Yeah, I think that's part of it too. Like the Canucks, yeah. Lindholm was their target, so they got their guy. And then once that happened, Winnipeg was like, "Well, we don't want to go down this rabbit hole where we're trying to scrap and claw to get." Adam Henrique, Sean Monahan's the guy that we really want. And so those two teams pulled the trigger. Now they sit and wait. And both those teams are actually, interestingly enough, still active on the trade market because they think that there's some marginal ways that they could get better now. But mm-hmm. I, I just I want to remind everyone because it seems to be lost on the idea of get making the big splash is that more often than not, the team that you know makes that big splash doesn't win it's it's an odd thing but just look at even the last two stanley cup winners the golden knights and the avs coincidentally enough the leafs last two opponents neither one of those teams in the year that they won traded their first round pick last year it was barbashev that got it done or helped get it done for vegas and the year before that um for Colorado that was the year that they got Josh Manson at the deadline 
And they also got Arturi Lekkinen, two guys that they got for second round picks. It's it's not always the big, splashy, sexy name that, you know, helps your team go out and win. And part of it is internal belief in what you have. And the other part of it is, I think, trying to get creative and find intriguing fits lower down your lineup without breaking the bank. Couldn't agree more. Um, and to that point, Frank, who's that player this year? Like, who's the guy that's going to get moved over the next week and a half or so that when we see the deal pop up on our timeline, it might not be the sexiest trade, but could end up being the most advantageous and beneficial for the team that's acquiring that player. You know, I'm a big believer in, in uh, fit work ethic, you know, work rate, um, little parts of the game. I, I, I love Brandon Duhame from the Minnesota wild. I think he's like an ideal third, fourth line player. He flies, he's scrappy. He's got an edge to his game in Minnesota and he's probably not going to cost you an absolute arm and a leg. But I know teams are after him. I know Minnesota's back in the playoff race. There's absolutely no guarantee that he ends up moving. I think you could do a lot worse than going out and getting Riley Smith. I know it hasn't worked out in Pittsburgh, but he's got the Stanley Cup pedigree. Probably going to cost you a second-round pick. Uh, You're going to have to take on the money next year unless you can – have Pittsburgh retain and Vegas wouldn't be an option for the retainment, but it's, it's, it doesn't have to be the biggest name out there. And short of that, like I'm not, there are, there isn't a whole lot else on this market that I'm super excited about. Like maybe from a a long-term perspective, if you're a a non-playoff team, I'd be interested in an Arthur Kaliev. Can Arthur Kaliev be, you know, this year's version of Owen Tippett and what he's been for the Flyers since that Claude Giroux trade. Um, you know, could you maybe try and, you know, rekindle or, or get something out of a Jordan Greenway from, from Buffalo? The, look further down the trade board and try and find some fits would be my point. Who is the team that you think is going to be the most active? Because, I mean, we there's certain teams that are jockeying for position. The other problem is, is there's a lot of teams that don't have a ton of cap space. And that, and that was, although <laughs> we thought that was the problem last year and there were like a 150 trades. So, I mean, maybe that's not as much of an issue as we're making it out to be. Um, is there a team that you look at that just, they maybe they think they're close and they're going to make a couple moves or do you think that some teams have learned from the Boston Bruins last year because they made a lot of moves? So did the Toronto Maple Leafs. And there's something to be said about not having enough time to really put together a cohesive unit because, frankly, they haven't played enough together to make that happen. Do you, Can you look at it both ways? Like one team, maybe they think they need to make a bunch of moves or are teams scared of making too many moves to really disrupt what they have going already? Well, I think the Dallas Stars are quite literally contemplating both those things at this exact moment in time. They love their team. They love what they've built. They love how they've played this year, leading the division. But they also feel like, hey, what if we could improve somehow? And so I think they're really weighing that internally right now. Should we make a big splash? Should we keep what we have? Should we do something on the margins? In the end, I'll be really surprised if Dallas... Colorado and Edmonton don't make significant trades between now and March 8th. I think both those, te- all three of those teams, I should say, authentic 
Stanley Cup contenders. Um, really happy with what they've got. But most importantly, they've got the assets to do it. And that's one thing holding back the Leafs, the Bruins, the Panthers, the Lightning, a lot of these teams that are in the mix that want to be active, they don't have the juice to be able to go out and get something done. And that's really the toughest part of, you know, another reason why I think this deadline has been really quiet is a lot of the teams that really want to do something and are hungry to just don't have the capital. So I had this thought creep into my brain and I'm much like other people. So Mark, and, and bear with me here, Frank. I think you're going to know where I was I'm gonna going to say that's this. a novel concept, man. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, Jack Eichel is on the LTIR. We don't know when he's going to be back. Mark Stone is on the IR, and we don't know when he's going to be back. What are, the, what are the odds that Mark Stone and Jack Eichel return for game one of the playoffs and the Vegas Golden Knights go out and get a guy like Jake Ensel? And then everybody screams bloody murder because they circumvented the cap and the loophole and all this nonsense, which I hate because <laughs> if you're, if you ain't cheating, you ain't trying. Okay. Um, as Eddie, as the late great Eddie Guerrero would say, lie, cheat and steal. Um, do you see a scenario where that could happen once again for the Vegas Golden Knights? I do. And I would be the first person to say, Hey, there's cap shenanigans here, except knowing what I know about the Mark stone injury reporting last week that he has a lacerated spleen. This is actually quite serious. And there's, there really is no definitive timeline for an injury like that. I do think Jack Eichel will be back bef- well before the playoffs and they're counting on that. I do think, you know, they'd love to have Mark stone back right now. He's the heart and soul of that team. And not for nothing, this is a team that, hasn't really gotten its act together this year. They've played a lot better in the last four to six weeks, mostly on the back of Aiden Hill. But if you think that the Golden Knights are willfully taking their, you know, arguably their best player or most impactful piece in stone out of the lineup, just to do it for cap reasons for the playoffs, like I've got some things that I'd like to sell you. But more than that, I, you know, I think they're going to be as aggressive as possible because that's what they do. That's in their MO. They, they love the new shiny toy on the market. They've maximized their cap space and spending in every single year possible. They've traded away draft picks, top prospects, you name it, all in a quest to win the Stanley Cup. And they've done it once. They're trying to do it again, and they think that they're a team that's well set up to go back-to-back and if they have a playoff roster at some point that includes Stone and Gensel and Eichel and Theodore and all these guys that have missed time this year, well, I'm not who might argue with the fact that they could go back to back. It's very much possible. Could be in the cards for them. It'll be interesting to see how that unfolds. Oh, in, in the cards. I like it. I oh, there you go. <laughs> well done. You didn't even know you did it. Not really. Almost. That was, yeah. It could be in the cards. That's that's uh, It's possible. Um, I have one more for you, Frank. Uh, the number one player on your trade board is Noah Hannafin. So, of course, he's an, a pending free agent uh, with the Calgary Flames. 
you know, Calgary's been very patient. Uh, Craig Conroy, they've been very judicious throughout this process. They've got him. They've got Chris Tanev that is another target for many teams, potentially even the Toronto Maple Leafs included in that group. Um, I wonder, what does the price look like right now for Hannafin, potentially even by extension, I guess, Tanev? What are they looking to recoup if they move both of those guys? And does the equation change at all if we're looking at situations where those guys become pure rentals and there's no possibility of the team acquiring them, being able to retain them beyond this season? Well, right now it's looking like both will be pure rentals. And that's the tougher part for the Flames that they've been trying to navigate is he has signaled to the Flames and others, apparently, that he'd like to end up in Tampa Bay. And, you know, he has a a limited no trade, not a full no trade. So he can't truly make that happen and hold the flames over a barrel. But what he can do is sort of lessen the return that the flames get in order to try and get to his preferred destination. If other teams bow out and say, Hey, that's great that you want a lot for this guy that isn't ultimately going to resign here, but this is really the best of what we can offer you. So I think the Flames are in a really tough situation with Hannafin. I think they're having a hard time drumming up a market a lot for a lot of the reasons of what I just said. Impactful defenseman can easily play on your top pair and is someone that makes sense to re-sign for seven or eight years because he skates so well and isn't likely to fall off a cliff, you know, well into his 30s. But it's also going to be expensive. And I think the flames are probably in the course of readjusting their expectations in terms of the return. Tanev is a little bit different, uh, by the way, the flame, the, the Leafs are not one of those teams that's in on Hannafin, but certainly very much interested in Tanev. The thing is with Tanev, um, the Leafs don't have a second round pick. And I believe the flames have multiple teams that have put a second round pick on the table they're holding out to see what more they can get, the best deal possible, whether it's someone that makes it you know, a higher conditional first based on the conditions. Could they make the conditions better? Could they get a better prospect sweetener in there? Whatever the case is, they're trying to squeeze out every last drop, knowing that on the other side of the ledger, it might not be as pretty for Hannafin. So they're going to try and maximize that return for Tanev. The first team that steps up to get to exactly where Calgary would like to get to on Tanev, they'd love a first-round pick. He'll be out the door. And short of that, it's going to be a bidding war until then. Uh, Frank, we got this text from Brad in Ancaster. And just to wrap this thing up full circle, he says, uh, I'm pretty sure the fashion show scene in Slapshot would be frowned upon in today's society. That among many other things in Slapshot, yeah. Frank. <laughs> that wasn't even the scene I was thinking of. Me neither. When I was <laughs> about not showing that movie to my son. It certainly involved Hanrahan. And, uh, I'm, uh, we'll just leave it at that. Yeah, we will just leave it at that. Uh, Frank, thanks so much for taking some time for us today. Really appreciate it. Uh, enjoy the time leading up to trade deadline. I uh, always appreciate you jumping on. Have a good week, guys. There he goes. Frank Saravelli, hockey insider and president of hockey content at Daily Faceoff. That insider was brought to you by Don Valley North Lexus, where you can expect excellence online and in the showroom. Visit DonValleyNorthLexus.com. See, I make that reference well done, to that man. scene, and you have no clue what I'm talking no about. No idea. No clue. It's okay. You were able to share in that. In in the joy of Slapshot. In an old man moment? No, that's not, no, not at all. Not at all. By the way, speaking of Chris Tanev, I was told by someone, uh, I'll use this as I did with the Jim Harbaugh thing, very close to the situation, uh, in the inner circle. Um, 
that he would very much welcome a trade to Toronto. I mean, that's not overly surprising, but he would welcome a trade to Toronto. An extension, I don't know. I would assume that would also be a part of it. But yeah, he would he would very much welcome a, a move to Toronto. It feels like they're holding out. Calgary is um, Craig Conroy. They're holding out hope that the Leafs will get desperate and throw a first round pick on the table and say, okay, fine, we're gonna sign, we're gonna acquire this guy. We'll sign him to an extension anyway. Fine, we'll bite the bullet. We'll give you a first round pick. That sort of feels like what has been lingering here for a while, and also the overall like. Does Cal? I, I not that they not that Calgary would preclude themselves from negotiating with the Leafs because Bradtree Living's in charge, but in the back of their mind, they probably want to make sure it's a sweet deal if they're going to trade a guy to Bradtree Living and the Toronto Maple Leafs after he just departed their organization. I, I I don't necessarily disagree that that's what Calgary's looking for, but I'm I'm very much in line with Frank saying if they're going to move a first round pick, it's going to be a big deal. It's not yes. going to be like it's going to, and I don't know that that's it Chris. Be- well, I'm, I'm if saying it's Chris it, Tannen, be. it means there's more coming back than just Chris. Tannen. It better be. I think his his point on Hannafin was interesting too. The you know that he's eager to go to Tampa. So am I. Uh, Tampa would be I, great. I'd love to go to Tampa. But, yeah, it's great. but I, there's been there was a lot of connective tissue between Hannafin and Boston because he's from there, mm-hmm. and so people were trying to make that. I mean, sometimes it's a false equivalency, but trying to point their finger in the direction of. Well, he can go home and play for the Bruins and be on a really good team and on, you know, not have to be the main guy on the blue line, but is obviously one of the best guys on the blue line. And it would be a terrific fit. And yet he just, it seems like he's not interested in that whatsoever. But Tanev would obviously be a fit. And we've had that discussion for months, like since November, essentially since Nikita Zadorov got traded, it felt like, okay, now Leafs pounce, go get that guy. And it just it hasn't happened. No, it has not. Um, we're going to take a break. When we come back, we got plenty to get to. Stuff that we haven't gotten to yet. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe we'll chat a little bit about the Raptors. But there's a couple things I really want to get to. First, Russell Wilson needs to shut up. Yes. That would be the first thing that I would like <laughs> to say. Because he talks a lot. He does. And he is ridiculous. Uh, he has a wonderful quote from this weekend <laughs> uh, on his appearance on the I Am Athlete show with Brandon Marshall. Uh, also... Um, have you ever heard of ice football, American ice football? Well, if you haven't, we'll tell you more about it. That's all coming up. Matt Marchese, Daniele Franceschi. This is the Fan Morning Show on Sportsnet 590, The Fan. Diving deep into Leafs, Raptors, Jays, and NFL. The J.D. Bunkus Podcast. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. It's the final block of the Fan Morning Show. Matt Marchese, Daniele Franceschi with you here all week. Um, just wanted to give a shout out to a longtime NFL writer. Some people call him the Don Corleone. Mm. He is. Of NFL writers. Uh, Peter King penned his retirement column for uh, Football Morning in America. And um, he's been a frequent guest on this program. Uh, on this station, mm-hmm. uh, dating back as far as 30 years ago uh, when he would make appearances on primetime sports. And one of the real legends, like that was his his column was must read every week because there was always cool little tidbits. Yep. Uh, but reading his column today, he's very much at peace with this decision and uh, very happy for Peter King and the legacy that he leaves behind. Couldn't agree more. Uh, truly, truly a legend of this industry. Um, and you know, you look in our, in our profession and in, in, in being around this business and you and I have both done it behind the glass and what as a party and, and, and Josh do every day and producing shows, 
you get a sense of who's like gentlemanly yeah. and like who's good and who are the good guy, good guys and gals in this industry. Peter King is one of those really good people. Yeah. And when it comes to the work he does, obviously it speaks for itself. But on top of that, the way he treats people and conducts himself and it's hard to replace that old, that, that really like pure, there was a purity in the journalism that he provided and almost that we like are a voice of, out on. And almost like a voice of reason. As totally. Well. Totally. Like, He's nothing was ever too big or too small. Like it was, I, everything's always measured with him. That's what I appreciate. Cause now we live in an era where it's all about, we all talk in hyperbole and his stuff. It was always like, well, very measured. No, like yeah. it was just very calculated, very realistic, very pure. And I, and I'm going to miss that about his coverage. Yeah, me too. Uh, so congratulations to Peter King and uh, enjoy retirement. Uh, yes. I've been looking forward well to deserved. I've been looking forward to retirement since the first day I started working. So good for Peter <laughs> King. Um, you said something, you said a word in there, um, very hyperbolic, um, very kind of bombastic. Yes. Um, so with that being said, let's hear from Russell Wilson <laughs> oh. uh, and his appearance on the I Am Athlete show with former NFL wideout Brandon Marshall. So you sitting here at 35, you say you feel the best you've ever felt. Do you still have that obsession? I got more fire than ever, honestly, especially over the past two years of what I've gone through. Whether if it's in Denver or somewhere else, I, I hope it's in Denver. You know, I hope I get to finish there. I, I committed there. I wanted to be there. You know, I want to be there. For me, it's about winning. Over the next five years, I want to win too. I want to feel the chill of that trophy again. You know, I, I love the city and everything else, but you know, you also want to be a place that, that wants you too. So the thing that I, I, I want to do is, is, is win, man. That's all, that's all I care about. Hmm. Is Russell Wilson playing Madden that he wants to win two championships <laughs> in five years? Because I don't uh, think he can win a Super Bowl with him at quarterback in Madden these days. No, he can't. Like, okay. I understand having confidence in yourself. I get that. Um, but boy, oh boy. Russell Wilson hasn't watched a lot of tape on himself the last couple of years, has he? Oh, all I've gone through. What have you gone through? You got $240 million from Walmart. <laughs> You're going to be the <laughs> m most overpaid Walmart greeter that we've ever seen. And this guy thinks he's winning championships? Like, I'm waiting for the Jim Moore playoffs. Yeah. We're talking about playoffs? <laughs> Like playoffs? There yeah, we go. There it is. I know that's always you on. You kidding me? Yeah. Yes. It's, it's always on. It's my like, everybody's got I love that it. one. But Russell Wilson's nuts. He's nuts. Yeah. No, I I mean, I think that sums it up pretty well. But I would say. Sorry, he's just, delusional, just, not nuts. Just keep your mouth shut, man, because you, you emerge from the tire fire that is the Denver Broncos almost as like an empathetic figure. People were sympathizing with you at the end because of the, that story that emerged, how they were, how, you know, the decision to bench him and how that came about. And the fact that it had lingered for basically an entire season or half a season, they had been contemplating and had expressed a desire to bench him. If you wouldn't restructure or, or sign off on what was the injury bonus or whatever that was, yeah. the injury guarantee. And you came away from that entire situation after being so cringy for two years as a Denver Bronco. Oh, Bron let's ride. Pe people, yeah, <laughs> Broncos country. <laughs> and everybody was looking at you and saying, okay, you know what? I kind of feel bad for Russ a little bit. And you completely squashed all that sympathy by simply opening your mouth and saying, yeah, I got two more in me over the next five years. The best part of that entire clip is Brandon Marshall's facial reaction. 100%. Maddie, he looks like a guy. It's like one of those friends, a good friend that is just, he, he, he loves you, but he's afraid to call you out on your BS. Yeah. That's what it looked like. He's like staring at him almost into the abyss. Like you didn't just say that. Did you like, 
Nothing about Russell Wilson at this stage of his career screams Super Bowl winning quarterback. I'm sorry. And I was one of the defenders of saying, well, Russ wasn't all that bad because I don't think he actually was. I think he got uh, dealt a, a, a bad hand by the Denver Broncos. Sean Payton from day one was looking for every reason to not have him as a starting quarterback. And ultimately, though, he's not a Super Bowl level quarterback anymore. No. That's done. No, he's he's. um. If Russell Wilson has to be the reason why you win, he can't win. And guess what? In today's game, you need a quarterback that will be the reason why yes. you win. And he just can't do that at this stage in his career. Mm-hmm. That's it's it's a far fall from grace from him. I also but just be quiet. Like enough. what's the what's the benefit for him to open his mouth or to go on that plat like uh, that that one because quote, he's, because he's going to be out of Denver and he thinks somebody's going to look at him you know from watching this and be like oh Russ has still got that fire great he's yeah, I mean, I he just, has a tire fire but yes, he doesn't have that fire I I really didn't see the benefit I appreciate that he opened up about what happened in Denver but it was really him regurgitating and reiterating what he had told us back in what December early January whenever it was him sort of outing the organization. That was it. Like he did it at that little scrum that he had at his locker. And it was the most human version of Russell Wilson that we've probably ever seen. Yeah. That's all he needed to do. Yeah. Leave it there, Russ. Cause now he shows up on a show. First off, he looks like, I mean, I don't know, man, what do you like? Even just style his fashion, his style. He looked weird. And, and it's like, okay, so you're trying to be this big, put on this big persona. Like, like you just humanized yourself in front of the entire world and people were starting to sympathize. Just just be quiet. Yeah. Go away for a bit. Let it unfold as it will. Arrive in your new destination and start fresh. And don't say let's ride. Yes, let's please. Let's just be done with that. Please, let's get rid of that. Uh, speaking of football, so American ice football. <laughs> it's exactly what you think it is. <laughs> this looks great. Um, if you haven't seen it, it's on my it's on my Twitter feed at MaddieMar89. It's somewhere on there. And I mean... It's players in full hockey gear mm-hmm. playing football without skates. Only the referees have skates. <laughs> and it is just as glorious and wacky as you might think. It's essential. Like, it is It is literally chaos. It is. It's chaos. Pure chaos. And, I mean, I'm waiting for the... You can't even, like, you can't even get a big hit. I saw one where, a play where a guy, like the snap goes over his head and he's yes. scrambling back to pick up and he picks up the ball and guys are trying to tackle him, but they're sliding right yeah. past him. And he got, he looked like Patrick Mahomes getting our Lamar Jackson, getting out of, you know, what looks to be a gang tackle. Yeah. And he just kind of slips out from underneath, throws the ball, like a little dump off. And the guy scores a touchdown. It is as bizarre, as wacky as you could imagine. Um, and if you haven't seen it, you should absolutely do yourself a favor and go find it. There's a, yeah, there's a few different clips. There's one that's more of a compliment of different plays involved or whatever. My favorite is that on that play you're referencing where the snap goes over the quarterback's head. I guess it's still a quarterback. Goes over the guy's head. It t- it takes like five minutes for them to get back to the ball oh, because yeah. they it's can't a- move. It- and they're just like trying to like, just like almost like a, look like a penguin out there trying to you that's make sure a, they that's don't a really slip good way slide, to de- right? That's a really good way yeah. to describe it. They look like penguins. They kind of do. Yeah. Um, and no, it's great. It's fun. And the field goal kicking. That was my favorite. The guy took attempts a little, I, I don't know if it's an extra point thing, whatever, but they they literally have a guy hold like they would in the NFL. Somebody holds the ball. You <laughs> kick it. And then every time they kick, these guys inevitably they just wipe out. Wipe out, yeah. right? And it, so it's the funniest thing. I, I mean, 
I, I also the graphics package on this thing was fantastic. By the way, every time there's a touchdown score, it comes on the big touchdown right across <laughs> the screen. I love it. It was great. Yeah, I didn't. I didn't have uh, ice football in Germany on my bingo card, and yet here we are. Okay, uh, we got to get to this before we go. Uh, I know this is near and dear to your heart, well, not in a good way. Um, so Duke basketball's leading scorer is Kyle Filipowski. Yep, and. Duke loses to Wake Forest over the weekend. Duke is ranked number eight, or they mm-hmm. were ranked number eight going into that game. And this is a massive win for Wake Forest because it, it it helps their bid to get into the tournament. Court storming. And Kyle Filipowski gets basically run over, hurts his knee. And it's one of the most egregious things that I've seen in college basketball. Because court storming we see happens. But there were people going on the court, like basically before the buzzer even went. They couldn't yep. even get the players off. Um, I know you wanted to um, have a say on this because it, it, it's a bad look for Wake Forest and it's a bad look for, you shouldn't be court storming. It's just, it's the only sport in which it happens. It's interesting. Um, to me, it was interesting for a couple of reasons. One, as a as a devout, avid college basketball fan and even just college sports fan in general, like court storming, field storming is such a big part of these awesome upsets. Like you think of the visual, right? How many times you watch big games in college football, for example, and you have people jumping over the, the barricades to get onto the field so that they can run and celebrate with their team. It's, it's great. It's cool. But I think you have to do it in an orderly fashion and you have to make sure that you have a plan for how you're doing this. This, I mean, thankfully, it looks like Filipowski is going to be okay. Like, he didn't suffer an injury that's going to keep him sidelined. Could have been a lot worse. That's 100%. That's my point. Could have been a lot worse. Thankfully, like, he spoke post-game, seemed like he's okay. But the it makes me think, are we going to ever see a time where this is fully eliminated? Because I don't know that I want that per se, but it is. it does make me think, are we going to live in an era where this becomes... They completely abandon it, and there's more punitive measures taken because there's only one conference, Maddie, in all of college sports that actually penalizes schools if this happens. It's the SEC, but even then, it's only a fine. And guess what? If you're a school, um, you know, I was going to say Alabama, but if you're a school like Vanderbilt in the SEC and you beat, you happen to beat Alabama, and it's a massive upset win, are you going to prevent your students from running on the court? You're probably going to want that visual. Like, it, it, it also adds marketing and, and appeal to your school to have that be such an awesome moment for your collective student body. So there's real no, there really aren't many punitive measures in place. And even more, more broadly, if we look at, like, pro sports, how many times do we see this happen in basketball where now we're seeing players get into arguments with fans all the time? I just wonder, like, where do we draw the line and how does that relationship work between spectator sports and the athletes themselves? And to what degree should there be involvement? Because I hate like Kevin Durant was chirping at some fan the other day. And I was like, all right, man. Like, I just think there are some too he, sensitive. In his right? defense, he thought he was talking from his burner account. There we go. But I feel like sometimes there are instances where the players become too sensitive. And then there are some instances where, yeah, fans go overboard. Like to me, Saturday, School is ultimately responsible. Wake Forest, you got to have a better plan in place there. Sure. Like, that's as simple as it gets. But it just made me really think about the relationship between players, the athletes, and the fans, and how we're sort of distant. Like, there's a greater divide there now than maybe there's ever been. Yeah, I I, I don't disagree with that. Um, 
So we'll see what happens. Hopefully, It'll be Kyle Filipowski it seems like he's okay. So we'll see. Where. He's integral, by the way, to Duke. It's 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 a madness season almost, and he's integral to what they want to do. Right around the corner. Uh, that's going to do it for us today on the Fan Morning Show. Thanks to our guests that joined us: Gord Stelic, uh, Ben Shulman, and Frank Saravelli. Thanks to Jeff Azaparty and Josh Santos behind the glass. Thank you to Daniele Franceschi, my co-host across the table. We'll be back tomorrow. We'll be back all week, right here on the Fan Morning Show. Thanks for listening. Enjoy the rest of the day. We'll talk to you tomorrow.